This episode of Dear Hank and John is brought to you by Blue Land. Did you know that uh, about 5 billion, billion? That's a de- I checked that because that's a lot. Plastic hand soap and cleaning bottles are thrown away every year. And if that's not bad enough, most cleaning formulas are 90% water, which is heavy. We're shipping around all this water using fuel when we don't have to. Every year, Americans throw away 25% more trash from Thanksgiving to New Year. This year, maybe turn the New Year's resolution into action that makes a difference by switching to Blue Land. Blue Land is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and the planet with the same powerful clean you're used to. It's a simple idea. They have refillable cleaning products. They have a nice design. I have them in my home. It looks nice on your counter. You fill the reusable bottles with water, drop in the Blue Land tablets, wait for them to dissolve, and you never have to grab bulky, heavy cleaning supplies on your grocery run ever again. And refills, because they're small and you don't have to ship a bunch of water across the country, starts at just $2.25. You can even set up a subscription or buy in bulk for additional savings. From cleaning sprays to hand soap, toilet bowl cleaner, and laundry tablets, Laundry tablets, everybody, you know what I mean. All Blue Land products are made with clean ingredients that you can feel good about. Blue Land is trusted in over a million homes, including, yeah, mine. Blue Land has a special offer for listeners right now. You can get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash dearhank. You won't want to miss it. Blueland.com slash dearhank for 15% off. Again, blueland.com slash dearhank to get 15% off. Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a podcast where two brothers answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. John, I recently had a friend uh, whose whose boyfriend actually is in the World Cup of soccer right now. Congrats. Um, And uh, he plays goalie, goaltending. Matt Turner. I, I I I said, you should marry that guy. He's a real keeper. Oh... Okay, I thought you were gonna. I thought it was gonna be like a pun on one of the goalkeepers' names, like no, the Senegalese. The Senegalese goalkeeper's name is Mendy. I feel like you could have worked with that. I yeah, feel like I you could have worked enough. with Aaron Ramsdale, former <laughs> former AFC Wimbledon goalkeeper, really now playing in the World Cup. Not only that, wow. a current a current AFC Wimbledon player is playing in the World Cup. Chris what team? Gun- Chris Gunter for Wales. Nice. Who's he cupping for? He's cupping for England. So moving on, though, Hank. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Do you remember when we were kids, there was a late night uh, television show called uh, Late Night with Johnny Carson? Yeah, I guess. Sure. You remember like we'd watch <laughs> it sometimes? That. Yeah. I, I guess we'd watch Johnny Carson every once in a while. Occasionally. Like, very occasionally. It was late. On a black you know, and, and white really television. Stay, yeah, we'd have to stay up quite late for that. Yeah, sometimes like mom and dad would watch uh, David Letterman or something like that. Sure, for sure. Yeah. You remember how uh, Johnny Carson had that guy, that second guy named Ed McMahon? Uh huh. Yeah. And like Johnny Carson like, would always hey! be. He would exactly. over there. Ah! Johnny Carson would do all the talking, and then Ed McMahon mm-hmm. would say like one of eight things. He would say like, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or he would, or if gravy. He, if he, Great, exactly. Or if he disagreed with something, sometimes he'd say, I don't know about that. So (laughs) 
he had sort of like eight or nine stock responses and he made uh-huh. like a 45 year career out of having these eight or nine stock responses. Yeah, he had a good voice. He had a great voice for hello kind of things. <laughs> hello. You know, like, yeah. I'll say that sort of that sort of jam. <laughs> and and John just, just wants everybody to know that Ed McMahon is going to be on the podcast today. He died in 2009. He? Okay, I was going to say, well, I'm not sure that he's with us, um, but that doesn't necessarily stop you from being on a podcast in an age of AI. But uh, here's the thing. I Mm -hmm. um, usually I feel like we're both trying to be Johnny Carson on this show and it works great. I don't have any criticisms. This particular day, I just want to give you a heads up that I'm going to be a kind of an Ed McMahon figure, if you will. Oh, interesting. Well, yeah. uh, I don't know that I love this, but okay. So it's all on my shoulders. I'm the Johnny Carson. I have to yeah. do all the work and you're yeah. going to be like, hey, hey, I don't know about that. Yes, that is correct, sir. Why? <laughs> Why? Why am I stuck with such a such a dubious host, co-host? You got it. <laughs> oh, no. Why? What's happening? That's right. Yes. Oh my God, he's broken, he's gone. I'll say, <laughs> here we go. Got any questions from our listeners today? Yeah, this first one comes from Michaela, who asks, Dear Hank and John mm. and Leon. But mostly this Hank most, this and Leon. This is mostly for Leon. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't have his email, though. I thought I'd ask you to please uh, pass on this question. What would you do, Leon Musk, with $44 billion? <laughs> Hank <laughs> and John, for, please a, feel free to share. Question for my friend, Leon Musk. Yeah. Well, it's going to be hard to Ed McMahon my way through this question, Hank. (laughs) I feel a little, I feel a little duped. Yeah, well, it happens. Here's the thing about Leon Musk. Has anyone in, in human history been more forward thinking than I was in creating an Elon Musk parody account on Twitter (laughs) in 2015? I mean, I... Why didn't I play the lottery that week? Like I saw the f- what? What do I know today that I don't know that I know? If you don't know what John's talking about, for a while there, a couple of weeks ago, everybody was creating Elon Musk parody accounts and getting banned from Twitter for it on Twitter. A very, yeah. uh, but very, there are uh, still there are still a ton of Elon Musk parody accounts because they, are, they can't ban, ban all of them. Yeah. And I started we so we had to have a joke on this podcast for for newish listeners. That it's not a joke, actually. It's a bet that if yeah. there are no humans on Mars by January 1st, 2028, <laughs> then this podcast. <laughs> My dream has pod- been hit quite hard by the You've last a, by the last a, four weeks. <laughs> your Mars dream has had a terrible month. Um, <laughs> if there are no human beings. This was Hank. This is how different the world was in 2016. Yeah. Yeah. Hank thought it was totally reasonable 50-50 bet that. If I don't know about that. There was, are no part of it was that like the podcast been called Dear Hank and John. I'll get a long time out of that. And eventually yeah. maybe John will get a chance and maybe not. I don't know. Right. Well, we have to keep podcasting until 2040 for it to even out. Yeah, exactly. For there to be like. <laughs> turn, turn the tables <laughs> on you. Take that. So I think the first thing Leon Musk would do, obviously, would spend $44 billion on a pro-Earth campaign, which, by the way, I think we need. Not like, there There are a lot of conversations about Earth and like the killing of Earth and the death of Earth and the life of Earth that mm-hmm. I feel like don't adequately acknowledge what we mean when we refer to Earth. 
Like, do, yeah. are, do we mean all life? In which case we mean mostly bacteria and insects. Do we mean all mammalian life? Do we mean non-life? <laughs> in which case we mean like uh, rocks and running Ro- water. Like rocks that, yeah, are kind of just like uh, sticking together with gravity. Yeah. Kind of hard to ruin that. Yeah, although I, I wouldn't put, totally put it past us, but I agree. Um, anyway, I think Leon Musk would, would make a would spend a $44 billion on a pro-Earth campaign, which would be both, we need to do a better job of making this a good place for humans and other animals. Sure. And we are, as a species, really interesting, really important, really cool. The universe wants, well, this is controversial, but whatever, it's Leon Musk. (laughs) The universe wants to know the secrets of itself. The universe wants to be observed, and we are observing it in lovely ways, and we should do more of that. And then I think Leon Musk would save the last billion dollars, spend $43 billion on his pro-Earth campaign, which would also hopefully be like an expansion of healthcare access globally. And then with the last billion dollars, and I realize I'm getting mission creep here, Hank, but whatever, it's Leon Musk, not me. With the last billion dollars, Leon Musk would save it. And on January 1st, 2028, he would launch the first manned mission to Mars. I mean, the, the, there's, there's issues. One, it wouldn't get there for a while. Uh, two, a billion dollars isn't enough. Three, I think Leon Musk is way weirder than you think he is. I think Leon Musk would be like, what if I just get uh, like a bunch of Hollywood A-list actors together and we make a movie and it's just for me? And it's called the oh. and it's called Mars Mission 14 and uh, starring Leon Musk, Tom Cruise, Brad Pitt, Denzel Washington. And yeah, no, no, no women. It's all it's, <laughs> it's all dudes. Dude, yeah, Musk's he wants universe. to have a dude time and they'd smoke cigars and they do dude stuff. Yeah. And sure. everybody gets paid yeah, $100 million. Cars. Everybody comes around. Yes. Jay Leno is there. President Biden sure. is there. Mm-hmm. Ed McMahon is there, but like dead. Yeah. Just as yeah. Just like his bones. It's just my ghost. <laughs> my ghost. Starring Jay Leno, <laughs> Denzel Washington, and my ghost. It's the new hit, Must World. Yeah. Must World. Oh, Must World is a you. much better title. And then Thank you. Yeah. So yeah, he could uh you know make like the biggest spray paint can ever. Um, sure. He could get that paintball. I bet uh, he could go yeah, get that paintball. Yeah, he could get it really into paintball. Yeah. No, no, no. The paintball in Indiana or wherever it oh, is. Oh, yeah. The oh, l- yeah. largest could, ball uh, of paint. He, he could, could go like, get that. That's his name. Buy the world's largest ball of paint for $5 million, but continue to let Michael Carmichael run it. Yeah. That's a great idea. That's a great use of resources. I just think like- All of these things, by the way. Can you imagine? I mean, $44 billion. That's, That's all I want to say about it. $44 billion. <laughs> All right. Oh, this question comes from Ellie. I like it. It says, hello, it's Ellie. Hi, Ellie. I was just wondering how important do you think it is to have consistent beliefs? Is the justification mm. that humanity is absurdly complex enough to rule out my inconsistency? By the way, I love your philosophy thing, Owen Crash Course. It's really changed my life. Uh, thank you, Hank and John. Uh, it does feel a lot like philosophy should be more open with the fact that it's just a b- bunch of thingos. It's a bunch of thingos. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, if you think about it, everything is a bunch of thingos. Yeah. 
Yeah, a bunch of little thingos. If it sounds, yeah, I don't know like, if you can hear the background noise in my office, people at home, but it's so cold that I have to have my heater running right now. <laughs> Otherwise, I understand. we understand. I we want you up. to be comfortable. So, John, how important do you think it is to have consistent beliefs? I think it's a worthy goal, but I think it's, um, I think first off, your beliefs should change over time oh, yeah. because the evidence available to you changes over time. And so your beliefs should change over time. But I also, and also just because like your life changes, your circumstances changes, the people you know change. And so I think like we have to make room for that, which sometimes we struggle to do on the, on, online. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we struggle to let people change, especially to let people change in public. It's hard. Um, but I, I think there will always be inconsistencies in almost all lives and value systems. I think there will always be places where oh, yeah. we are, are more alive to certain injustices or certain inequities than others. And I think the main thing that we can do is be conscious of the fact I just think life is extremely complex. There are tremendous complexities. Once you drill down into the big problems that we face, like I was at the Partners in Health uh, Board of Trustees meeting in Boston last week, Mm -hmm. and I was reminded that when you drill all the way down to the work that has been done over the decades to expand access to HIV treatment, expand access to multidrug-resistant tuberculosis treatment, there's a lot of complexity. It is not easy or straightforward. It's really hard and complex and difficult and nuanced and involves a ton of listening. And, you know, it it really isn't as, as simple as we make it seem from the outside. And I think every problem is like that. Yeah. Well, yes. And I occasionally will run across somebody who has a really well-formed view of the world and their place in it and seems to be very consistent over a long period of time. And I think that like that requires a certain amount of sacrifice of nuance, but it's also valuable to them. And I think that it also allows them to do certain jobs well. I am not like that. I like I want to allow and sort of naturally do allow my perspective to wander and yeah. uh, and and my certainty to wander. I, and I think that there is nothing that we can actually be certain of. Um, there's very little that we can be certain of. You know, you can like sort of say what a square is and what two plus two is. But beyond that, there's, there's very little that is for sure not even knowledge. And I think that we have to allow for that. And I think that, that um, it's very normal for us to th- even even when our, our views do change to kind of believe that it didn't or that we always kind of believe the thing that we do. This is a constant weird thing in psychology that when when a mind actually changes, it's most effective at changing when it doesn't even recognize that it happened. And that's wild. It's why like our minds are very complicated, very weird. We do not have as much insight into them as we imagine that we do. And uh, and I think that we. Uh, that that if I look back on sort of the things that I wrote ten years ago and think, wow, I really had it all together, and and I and I I am that person exactly. I don't know. It feels a little bit like a failure to me. <laughs> I like I right. I, I have. Right. I continue I think to that's grow. A really I continue good way to of learn about it. Um, yeah. And I don't. Yeah. I I I think that a con- like consistency of 
uh, perspective and consistency of worldview is something that we, it's like a loyalty to a former self who doesn't exist. And I don't want to have right. that. Right. Yeah. But I think you become more loyal to that former self who doesn't exist when that former self is still present tense in public in the form of old Instagram posts exactly. or old TikToks yeah. or whatever. Well, especially and if those things are like observed and brought back to, to you for right. you to look at. Yeah. 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 And I, I mean, I, I don't, I, I was, I'm fortunate that I wasn't on the internet really when I was in high school, at least not in a posty kind of way, yeah, like because like, yeah. I mean, like I don't I don't know any anybody who still agrees with their 16-year-old self when they're 45 about everything. Mm-hmm. I I would love to talk to them. I would be fascinated to meet them <laughs> because I that is not my experience. Like I I feel like I have learned and changed so much. Like I was just thinking about the fact that um eight years ago, which is the last time the US was in the World Cup, the Fault in Our Stars movie had just come out like two weeks earlier. Wow. And that's been a long eight years. I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot about parenthood. I've learned a lot about adulthood. I've learned a lot about how to like conduct myself in public, how to be uh, a member of a community online, like all kinds of different things. And like, if if I hadn't, I agree with you. It's a little bit of an indictment of of the last eight years. If I didn't learn anything, if I if I didn't look back and say like, oh, I was naive about this mm-hmm. and you know, a little bit um, underappreciated the significance of that. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely some stuff that's at the root that I think that it, that you can keep consistent, but. Um, sure. Yeah. But also yes. like sometimes not. You're always like, we're always updating our frameworks and like we, yep. our minds are imperfect. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. I love the idea of having a framework that you work with, but that can be updated, yeah. you know, like. I mean, when I look back at who I was in college or in my early 20s, like I thought I was going to become a minister. And so all of my frame or most of my moral and ethical framework for thinking about the world was came to me from the Gospels in the New Testament. And I still think that's an important framework for me. You know, I think but but it would not be accurate to say that it's like the primary framework or like the only way I think about those questions. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's like Paul Farmer used to say, like Paul Farmer used to say, like, I believe in God, but I also believe in lots of other things, which I thought <laughs> yeah, I just think is such a great answer to that question. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, as as you believe in lots of other things like that, that helps inform that value system that that you grow and change with. This next question comes from Bill, who asks, Dear Hank and John, can you tell me who has the authority to assign collective nouns? My wife told me today mm. that, that a ballet of swans is a thing, and I was vaguely mm-hmm. outraged. <laughs> Where does this come from? <laughs> Pumpkins and penguins, Bill, Australia. I think you're right, Bill. I think that, so- I think that th- there was a sudden time. So you got like a school of fish, and I'm like, okay, fish are like 86% of animals. So like, yes. They could have a special word and it could be school. Right. Why not? Right. You can have a flock of birds of, and birds of are birds. like, again, most just like a huge number of the things. But once it like suddenly every group had a thing that you got like a Congress of somethings and a murder, <laughs> right, of, crows. A murder of crows. And then it's like, well, what's a group right. of dodos called? And I'm like, I don't care. There aren't any. 
There's one yeah. skin in a museum and it doesn't need a collective noun. Suddenly everything needed a collective noun. I just don't think it does. I think that the word group exists, but it's yeah. it became fun for there to be one for everything. And then somebody somewhere who had a website thought that they were in charge. <laughs> I don't think it's, you know what? I bet if you drill down, it's probably more complicated than that. <laughs> just like everything else. Nope. Yeah. yeah. Nope. It's just Hello. the people at Mental Floss. <laughs> this is me? It, it was, was like you. Me when I was 24. Yeah. I was we were like, what the heck are we going to call baboons? I definitely... I definitely 100% wrote an article about mental floss that was like, you won't believe these unusual group names for animals. <laughs> 100%. I don't doubt that for a second. Um, so if anyone's to blame for that, it's me. Yep. This question makes me think of something that is important that I feel like I need to reveal to the public, which is that yesterday I almost, you know how sometimes I get mad at people on Twitter, Hank? I don't know if you know about this. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, sometimes when I'm oh sometimes when I'm on Twitter, I get really like emotionally activated, and I think this is unusual. I don't think anybody else has this problem, but um, I just I get really angry, yep. and somebody says something mean about me, and I get really mad. Mm -hmm. And um, I almost wrote in response to somebody saying that like what one powerful person thinks if they're really powerful and smart and brilliant is what the public should think. I almost wrote what is good for the goose is not always good for the gander because I believed until yesterday that a group of geese was called a gander. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, I mean, why not? Gander is a and really I, weird word for male goose. And so I was like, ah, oh, God, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. I've heard that a million times. And it means what's good for one thing is good for many of the same things, right? <laughs> and so I, I went online. Do you know what that would actually be if you if you if you wanted to say that? Because it's a really what wild is good for the sentence. Goose is, is good for the flock? No. What's good for the goose is good for the gaggle. <laughs> That's actually so much better. It's great. <laughs> In fact, you know what? I would like to coin a new aphorism. <laughs> Even though I don't believe it, yeah. I do not believe this. Yeah, but somebody does. What's, what's good for the goose is good for the gaggle. Everybody says it. Everybody knows back, it's true. Yeah, back in if high school, I would have thought that was true. I got a lot of people on good, Twitter who seem to think it's true. If it's good for the goose, it's good for the gaggle. <laughs> if it's good for me, it's good for everyone. Ah, ah. I am the goose. You are the gaggle. And what's good for the goose is good for the gaggle. <laughs> I'm really into it now. I it might be my new favorite sentence. I'm not. I never again will I say what is good for the goose is good for the gander. I guarantee you that because from now on I'm only thinking in terms of gaggles. <laughs> Ayo! Can I? <laughs> my man, that was good. I liked it a lot. Uh, the Oxford English English Dictionary has commented on this, John, uh, who decides what collective nouns are for things. Um, they say, who decides? The short answer is no one. Love it. Love it. Just really commit there, boys. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, that's probably the truth. They're telling the truth. We all decide together. That's how language works. That's how, yeah, I guess it is. And also, there is a, a graph of uh, the increase in the use of the phrase murder of crows, and it still is nowhere near close to flock of crows in normal use. Whereas pride of lions really took off in the 1940s and has never come down. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Do you know what a group of blowfish is called? Um, a blue? 
No, John, it's called a hootie. That's not a joke. <laughs> Next. That's not a dad joke. That's true. It's a true fact. Someone decided well, it, and now it's called someone, that. Yeah. Is it called that, or is it called that only on websites that reveal what a group of animals is called? Having written for one of those websites, let me tell you that we don't go out and like pull a thousand adults what they call a group of blowfish. <laughs> oh. It's it it is not commonly used in everyday vernacular, turns out. But can we do it? Can we do it? Can we do it? Can we do what? Just the make Dear Ang and John audience. Can we make it a hootie of blowfish? I don't know if we can make it a hootie of. I feel like a hootie of blowfish. That's already kind of like happened or not happened. Is there any animal that is in need of a noun? That's the real question. Pelicans. Like it's a. Is there not a group of? What is a group of? Are, do pelicans gather in groups? Um, Do they flock? Well, I mean, there's a bunch. There's like five. What is a group of penguins called? A group of pelicans. One of the one of the group of pelicans collective nouns is brief. A brief yeah. of pelicans. No, from the pelican no, brief because of pelican brief. Yeah, that's but dull. far better is a squadron. Yeah. They are absolutely a squadron of pelicans. Yeah, they they do give off big squadron vibes. Yeah. What about penguins? Do they have? Oh, a group I'm name? sure they do. It's like a huddle of penguins. That I sounds think. great. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It could be a raft okay. or a huddle or sure. a waddle. A waddle of penguins is cute. John, this next question comes from Adia, who asks, Dear Hank and John, how do I stop swearing without seeming like a dweeb? I want to stop swearing mm. in like a cool and interesting straight edge way. But sometimes mm. I think that when I replace swear words with non-swears, it comes off as stuffy, maybe religious. I live in Utah mm. and doing anything that aligns with dominant religious culture here can be stressful image wise. Uh, for those of us who are not religious, that's a well said. Sure, I would say you've just got to have very unusual. Yeah, you got to come up words. with something good. I'm a big fan of. I've been using one lately. Yeah, Bumble Snort. Bumble Snort. Oh, just Bumble Snort. Uh, that definitely has Big Dad vibes. Oh God, I, that's the only kind of vibes I can deliver right now. <laughs> Real big, real big guy. Yeah, whenever I got say, when, kids old enough that I shouldn't curse in front of them vibes. Whenever I say it, my kids do kind of cringe yeah. now that you mention it. I've always not liked a number of things about curse words. I certainly, you've come to the wrong place, Adia, because I curse all the time. But I, uh, there are some things that I don't like about them. They tend to be, um, you know, the, the, they're, they spawn from shame around taboos, whether that is sex or body stuff or a lot of that. So poop, you know, is like the curse word for poop is very much like, a, you know, because because there's like taboo around body stuff. But um, so I like one of the one of my favorite curses is poop on a stick, uh, because now it's no longer you've not like the curse is no longer that it's the poop that we're ashamed of. It's that this is now a, like everyone. Everyone agrees that poop on a stick is bad because you've turned it into a weapon. And you're going to get it on somebody and nobody wants that. So I will occasionally stub my toe and shout out poop on a stick. But there, it is very difficult. Like there's a lot of complexity around the social understanding of curse words. And I know this having grown up in Florida where cursing, I mean, in my in the in the social circles I traveled in, it was very normal to curse and uh, very unusual to not curse and would have been noticed. And now... I make content on the internet where anybody can see it. And I do get a lot of feedback from people that's like, I'd really like you to curse less. And on Vlogbrothers, we don't curse. We don't curse very much on Dear Hank and John. But in a lot of places, on my TikTok, on Twitter, 
you know, I'm just being mean. I'm speaking the way that I speak. Um, and it's very hard. It's, it's both hard for me to not curse. And also it's about the sort of image that I am attempting to project. And it's very hard to project the image I want to project without using the language that I know how to use to do that with. But I do get lots of people who are like, I don't know why you do that. It turns me off your content. It's also true of my books, which is weird to get like Amazon reviews that are like, this is such a great book, but there were so many curse words. And I'm like, I just don't see them. They're invisible to me. It's just like not a part of my system of taboos. Um, certainly I understand that it's part of many people's system of taboos. And so I do try to avoid it in lots of situations, but, um, man, I tell you what, I, I don't know how to turn it off. So, and also you kind of can't get the curse word thing out of a not curse word because that's like, they're powerful because that's their power. So you kind of can't do it, but I think that you can just, instead of replacing them, just not, you know? You can just not do it. And that's probably what I would suggest in the end, that there is a way of using normal language. Well, I don't know. Because, oh my God, of course, like that's what I default to is to be like, you stub your toe, you say, oh my God, that hurts. Um, well, you can just skip it and just say, oh, that hurts. There's lots of noises that one can make um, that are not even words. So that might be one of the ways to go is noises. Ah! Like that. Oh. Ah! That is some right there. Yeah. Nope, not that one. I feel like that one was too hard. More like. That was just like kind of a very satisfied cat. Now the cat has a hairball. It's not great. Which reminds me, John, that this podcast is brought to you by a very satisfied cat. A very satisfied yeah. cat. His name is Gummy Bear, and he lives in my house. And every one Aww. of his needs is taken care of. Aww. Today's podcast is also brought to you by Ed McMahon's Ghost. Ed McMahon's <laughs> Ghost, haunting America since 2009. Podcast is also brought to you by The Gaggle. The Gaggle. What's good for the geese is good for it. Is good for the gaggle. It's what's good for the goose is good for the gaggle. What did I say? What's good for the geese is good for the gaggle, <laughs> which is true, also true, but... A little bit of an easier observation. Yeah. (laughs) And today's podcast is brought to you by watching television while podcasting with your brother. No. Dot, dot, dot. I don't know about that. (laughs) So we all know there are things in life that you have to compromise on, but there are two things that you shouldn't compromise on. One is name brand Dr. Pepper. The off-brand stuff just doesn't hit the same. And another is, of course, your health. So don't go back to that one doctor who uses your appointment to catch up on the latest headlines or their family group chat or the crossword puzzles just because they're available right now or take your slightly sketchy insurance. Instead, check out ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. And you can search by location, availability, and insurance. So literally, no compromises here because with ZocDoc, you've got more options than you know. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you 
and instantly book appointments with them online. You can filter specifically for ones who take your insurance, are located near you, and treat basically any condition you're searching for. And the typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between 24 and 72 hours. So go to ZocDoc.com slash DearHank and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash DearHank. ZocDoc.com slash DearHank. Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius, because there will be a world without us. Do you have another question for yeah, me this before we get to the from, all-important news? Whoa, whoa, whoa. What? Actually, Hank, yeah. Hank, I, Hank, I know what? we have to answer questions. Yeah, but, and I do want to answer one more question yeah. before we get to the news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon. But I also want to ask you a question. Okay. That is from me. Okay. It goes, dear Hank, comma. Mm-hmm. At what point does a correlation become so strong that it starts to suggest some level of causation? What? Like, is there a point, like, let's say that you, let's say every morning you flip a coin uh-huh. and your days are good when it's head and bad when it's tails. Yeah. Now, this is random, obviously. Let's say that it happens for seven straight years. <laughs> at some point, that correlation starts to at least maybe be causative in ways that we may not fully understand. Where is that point? I mean, you, so like, yeah, there there are... There are various uh, statistical methods to figure that out, and it's going to be different in different kinds of sciences. But what what's important there is not that uh, is is not that like correlation never implies causation. It's that correlation does not necessarily imply causation, but it does imply that there's something to look at. And so then you, you right. do research around that to figure out what yes. the thing is. So if John right. Green never yeah. tweets during an AFC Wimbledon game and they lose every time, and then he doesn't tweet during right. an AFC Wimbledon game and they win every time, then you have right. to, that like, there, is there a point at which you say, let's look and see if maybe there is, is some connection here? Um, right. And I would look at that as a scientist and I would say, well, there is no mechanism for that cause. There's no way mm. for that action mm. to have that effect. 
And so you that can't, we know like, of, you can't, <laughs> so you can't. Based on our current understanding of the universe, yes, there's no I agree. experiment to do there. Um, and so, sure. so you would, you would well, write. There it is off. an experiment to do, but I'm not willing to do it. <laughs> no, there's no experiment to do to drill down into the, into the, okay. the deeper, the, into the causality. Okay. So there's no, okay. there's no way we could do an experiment on. We could do an experiment that would further figure out whether there's correlation. We could continue to. Right. Uh, d- sure. define the statistical correlation, but we could not do yeah. an experiment that would f- help us figure out causation because there's no hypothesis for right. how the mechanism of action would work, um, which Got is it. a trick sometimes um, in in science because if you don't yeah. know how a correlation could be being caused, mm-hmm. but you know that it does exist, right? then that's kind of the end. Like you can't, like there isn't that much you can say about it except that the correlation exists until you develop some kind of hypothesis for how the mechanism might actually work. Well, let me follow up that question with one more question. That answer was very helpful. In your experience, having been on the podcast with me for a number of years, would you say that whether AFC Wimbledon win or lose a game is about a 50-50 proposition? Um, I don't I don't have no. it. No, no. No, you would I, you would say it's probably not about a 50-50 proposition, yeah, right? Like which than that. which 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 do you think is more likely, winning or losing? Losing. It's losing. Yeah. Right? Well, I think we all know that. Yeah. At least at the moment. So, right. So we're going to, let's start from there. Uh-huh. It's not a 50-50 proposition, but if it were, there would be a one in 512 chance that this could have happened. <laughs> but it's not a 50-50 uh-huh. proposition. So there's a less than one in 512 chance that this could have happened. All right. What's our last That's question? That's weird. Well, before we get to our last I question, <laughs> before we get to our last question, this this uh, this is a Project for Awesome message from Maeve Lindsay Outlaw to Charles Lindsay Outlaw. Charles, thank you for a wonderful first year of marriage. I so appreciate Aww. you as a dog dad, a husband, and a nerd fighter. And large thanks to dear Hank and John. I'm confident that between our mutually compatible television tastes and Catholic engagement encounter advice... We will continue to grow in love for many years to come. Ellie, Rowan, and I love you. Oh, that's so sweet. sweet. I do love a Catholic engaged encounter. (laughs) I I love that that's the name of it. It Sounds very dramatic. There's no weekend of my life I think about more often than my Catholic (laughs) engaged encounter. Yeah, it's good. It's probably a good idea. I mean, there was a lot to recommend it. There were some. There were there were some parts where I was like, I'm not. I'm not totally bought in on this. Um, the the most notable section being the portion of the program that was hosted by the, the people who were telling us <laughs> that the rhythm method worked. Wow! Who who were pregnant? That's that's, that's very Catholic. They were pregnant, so we had this whole like one hour. We had this whole one-hour section of the Catholic Engaged Encounter. I've probably told this story before on the pod, but it never gets old to me. We had this whole one-hour segment where this couple was like, hey, the rhythm method really works, and you don't need to use uh, birth control, which is against the teachings of the church, because the rhythm method is so effective. And at one point, Sarah raised her hand and she said, I'm sorry uh, if this is inappropriate, but aren't you pregnant? (laughs) (laughs) And it was like, yeah, 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 pregnant. With my sixth child. <laughs> Every one of them entirely intentional. Yeah, I mean, like, I guess that's how, I, yeah. If it works, it works. All right, let's, uh, let's, let's move on. 
This next question comes from Emma, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I'm watching yeah. slash rewatching old Vlogbrothers videos and just watched Hank's episode on Oumuamua. Can you provide an update? <laughs> Do we know more about it? Oh. Not the award, yeah. Emmy. Oh, yeah, I guess that is a name. All right. That's do you what are you Ed McMahoning me right now? No. <laughs> Sounds like something Ed McMahon would say. The I don't know about that. <laughs> so if you don't know what this is, uh, I, I did Ed Mc, I Ed McMahon you for like four straight minutes without getting caught while you <laughs> while you were talking. <laughs> What was I talking about? Well, well, you were talking about correlation and causation oh. because you were into it enough. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, yeah. You didn't catch me, but then when you're reading, I got to be careful how I use how I yeah, use well, this I definitely. Uh, superpower I've just discovered. It's a little bit like when Spider Man first gets his powers; it's a little too much almost. <laughs> so, if you remember, John Omomo uh-huh. was uh, Ed continues to be this object that visited our solar system from elsewhere, uh, came in, shot out. We could tell from its orbital trajectory that it was not of here. And it was like the first time we ever spotted a thing from somewhere else. And that's not Mm -hmm. because it's the first one that's been by. It's because it's our telescopes are getting better. And so we're we're better at spotting stuff like that. Mm. In fact, we have spotted another one since, though it was less weird than Oumuamua, which was... It behaved strangely, and uh, and we and we are still not to the bottom of it, and we probably never will be. So, like one of the frustrating things about it is that you know we spotted it, and then you know you can only get so many telescopes pointed at it so fast, and it was always quite far away, and then it was going farther and farther away until we couldn't see it anymore. You can't go catch up to it, so we'll never know probably um, exactly what it was unless we find some other objects that have very similar characteristics, but. Um, the good news is, seems like other stuff's coming into the solar system fairly regularly that oh. we can spot. And similar stuff? Not the same. So Oumuamua seemed to be really long, like almost cigar shaped, which is very unusual. Mm. You wouldn't think that that, that would happen. But um, yeah. the idea is, the thought is that these are objects that form in the early stages of solar system formation, and then they get kicked out by cold gas giants like Neptune. Um, Mm. so there's just like gravitational stuff is happening. And then there are these chunks of stuff that get, you know, some of them get tossed into the Oort cloud. Some of them get tossed all the way out of the solar system. Some of them crash into the planet, et cetera. Um, and, Mm -hmm. and there's probably a lot of stuff like that in the galaxy that's floating around that just got kicked out of solar systems when they were forming early on. And the, the one thing that has been proposed for Oumuamua that we had not, when I made that video had not proposed is that it's basically like condensed hydrogen gas that would have to be in a really specific circumstance in like what they call a molecular cloud. So this is like before a solar system starts to form, there's enough density of atoms and it, but it's still very cold. So they haven't like crashed into each other and started to like crunch down with gravity so that there's heat. Mm. So it's very cold, but there's still enough stuff that it's starting to collect together. And then you get like this, maybe this like shard of pure solid hydrogen. And that maybe got kicked out in the early stages of a solar system's formation, which maybe explains like it's more of a crystal than it is formed under the pressure of gravity. So it would maybe like form in a weird shape. Um, But I don't know. That's that that's the that's the sort of like update from the understanding Mm. of Oumuamua since 
since I made that video, but the like the only way that that question is going to get answered is if a similar object happens by, which it seems to me likely. Like if you get one, like if the first hmm. thing of something looks yeah, one way, right, right. probably it's not a one in a billion chance. It's probably more like right. a one in a hundred or less chance. Right. Because we haven't been looking that long, yeah. that widely yeah. for things that look like that. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, that's cool. Science is amazing, man. It's really cool. It's really like I, I think I think sometimes we need to do a better job of and I know that this is like a huge part of your professional life, so I'm preaching to the choir, but when we do a good job of communicating what science helps us understand about the universe and our place in it, I feel like we kind of like make the case for humanity in some ways. We're like, look, mm. we're we're doing interesting stuff together. Yeah. We are we're figuring out cool stuff. Yeah. I mean, I think that there are a number of cases we made for humanity, but I think that's definitely one of them. Yeah. I'm just trying to think about how to make the case for humanity to humans. I feel like weirdly, it's pretty easy to make the case for humanity to rocks. I feel like, yeah, they're like, that's, yeah, sounds good, man. Um, yeah, we are the, we are some among the most difficult to convince of the, of the objects on earth. Yeah, I feel like a lot of the mammals are probably like, hey, it seems this is a little out of control. Yeah, dogs are like, humans are great. You do not have to convince me of that. They seem awesome. Yeah, Canada geese are like, I don't know about uh, (laughs) humans as individuals, but as a species, they terraformed the whole freaking planet for us. Like, this is great. Like, you guys... So you guys call call these things golf courses. We call them heaven. And <laughs> and you just keep making more of them. And as everybody knows, what's good for the goose is good for the gaggle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, John, okay. Tell me what's going on in AFC Wimbledon world. We are uh we are indestructible. We are undefeatable. As long as I do not tweet while we are playing, we are incredibly, incredibly good. I am so grateful. To Phoebe, longtime AFC Wimbledon fan and listener to this podcast, for pointing out to me this correlation, as you call it, mm-hmm. <laughs> wherein <laughs> it it does rather seem yeah. that when we do so far, when I don't tweet during a game, we just cannot stop winning. <laughs> we beat Tranmere over the weekend. A couple things very notable about this game against Tranmere. This is coming off beating top of the table late in Orient 2-0. We won this Tranmere game 2-0, and Tranmere are a little above us in the table, and they did get a red card like 20 minutes into the game, and boy, was it a deserved red card. We've got this player. He used to play for Wimbledon, and now he's back. His name's Harry Pell. I call him Hell's Pells. Mm -hmm. And Harry Pell, he knows how to be very difficult and unpleasant to play against, and I... Love it. I love <laughs> that this new Wimbledon is becoming unbearable. It's a beautiful thing to watch. Um, so we scored one goal that was good, but then we soaked up a ton of pressure even when we went down. So we scored one goal. It was from Ethan Chislett, but it was kind of a setup from Ayubasol. Ayubasol is just so stinking good. Both Ethan Chislett and Ayubasol are just wonderful players. And they're both players who were like told by the big football clubs in England that they were too small to play professionally, mm, that they would like never make it yeah. at this level. And now they are, they are really, really proving themselves. But this, there was a good goal by Ethan Chislett. Then we soaked up a ton of pressure even after they went down to 10 men. And 
then we gave up a penalty and I was like, oh, I've seen this script before. Mm. Up one nil. Even though we have an extra man, we suddenly are like all disorganized in defense. We give up a penalty. I know how this script ends. We lose 2-1. I've watched this game a hundred times in the last five (laughs) years. But then what happened is that Nick Zanov saved a penalty. Wow. And it was a really good save. And so Nick Zanov saved a penalty and then Ayubasal scored a world-class goal. Some might argue a goal that was too good because after Ayubasal scored that goal, (laughs) I felt like a bunch of teams in the Premier League and in the second division of English football, they were like, hey, oh, mm, oh, wow, that was a a good goal. (laughs) This guy scored nine goals in his last eight appearances and he's not a striker? Huh. (laughs) <laughs> I feel like that <laughs> there's a little bit of that energy going on. There's suddenly there's like, hey, is a Ubisoft gonna be a Wimbledon player in January? Yeah. Could you um <laughs> could you good because could just slow down a little bit, put some lead weights in your shoes. Yeah, just yeah, and or or keep playing this way, but shh, like let's not talk about it online. You know? No That's one between us. No one writes stories about this at the very least. This is a private this is a private thing. No scouters, okay? no between- scouts allowed in the arena. <laughs> This is this is between me, Ayubasal, and every League Two defense. Uh, he's just incredible. I mean, he's incredible. He's so so good. He's only twenty years old. He's played for Wimbledon since he was nine. Wow. He is he's Wimbledon through and through. I love him. You'll remember Hank. The very first time he made a professional appearance, he scored a goal against Shrewsbury. And after the game, the like AFC Wimbledon media guy was doing an interview with him for YouTube and. The media person said, um, you must be very satisfied scoring a goal on your professional debut. And 17-year-old Ayuba Saul playing as a substitute in the third tier of <laughs> English football answered, I won't be satisfied until I'm the best player in the world. <laughs> All right. That's and I mean, he's, I, what, uh, whatever, whatever he has in his heart, if we could bottle it, uh, we could solve a lot of human problems. <laughs> I mean, he's incredible. I'm in. I'm a little in love, Hank. If you haven't noticed, do you like it? It's great. I'm happy for you. Uh, we are now uh, top of the bottom half of the League Two table. Nice. That's right, Hank. Thirteenth place can't be any higher in the bottom half. That's great. I can't wait until you're uh I can't wait till you're last place in the top half. That's going to be very exciting. Oh, it'll be thrilling. Um I got in uh, a hockey fight on Twitter I, last week. I saw. I I didn't really completely follow it, but it seemed like a hockey player was naughty and you were like this hockey player who was naughty sh- should be suspended for naughtiness. Yeah. And then a lot of fans of the team were like um, no, naughtiness is an essential part of the way that he approaches the game. I mean, naughtiness is definitely an essential part. I mean, look, the way that this often works is that when young players come in who are going to be a certain kind of player, and they will be, a and that's Sydney fine. Crosby type. That's fine if they're that kind of player. Like, they, like, like, oh, you mean like an enforcer? Yeah, or just kind of a pest. 
Like that's what that's one right. of the he's more of a pest than an enforcer. But anyway, um, a, a hairy pal, if you will. <laughs> you need you need somebody on your team who's like, I'm sorry, but that that's not allowed. Right. Like, I, like if you elbow me in the face, I am going to make the biggest possible deal out of it. Yeah. What, that's what Matthew Kachuk did this, which I find entirely inexcusable, is that after the play, so the, yeah. the play was over, he slipped sure. his stick into the mask. Of the goalie, oh no, and no. poked him in the eye. No, you can't do that. That's not like you're not playing hockey. You're not making a mistake. You're no. not like amped up. No. You're making no. a very conscious decision in a moment when no. hockey isn't even currently happening, which yeah. is which is almost assault. Uh, and I didn't like that. Now a lot of people who are who are Kachuk fans will say he didn't really hit him in the eye. He just was sort of like getting in there to to needle him and Quick's reaction was way over the top and he didn't actually get poked. And I'm like, I don't care. You don't put a stick inside of the goalie's no, mask. No, this man's eyes are his profession. It's all he has. Yeah. yeah. That I do think that's a very important. Well, first off, it's not all he has. <laughs> let's not let's not. Say that a professional hockey goalkeeper is only his eyes. That's, he's just like. a, well, ve- two very large eyes, and pucks <laughs> hit those eyes. There's a there's a famous Emerson poem where, or maybe it's a journal entry. I don't know, but it it really is stuck in my mind as being like a naked eyeball walking through the forest, like just observing. And I've always been like, God, that is gross. Just like I just so much bark. I really on it. do not like that observation. <laughs> I do not want a naked eyeball. Yeah. Uh, yeah. it's got to have an eyelid for it, me. Otherwise I really freak out. <laughs> anyway, I, I do agree yeah. with you though. Like you can't, the thing about sports is if you are hurting someone in on purpose, you are hurting their ability to play the sport that yeah. you both love playing. And that's not okay. Yeah. And there's a fair bit like, of that. You in can't hockey. do that. And oftentimes what happens is, is when players come in young, they kind of have to establish themselves as having that personality and they, they mild out after a little while. And I'm just hoping that that happens because he's an amazing player. He's an amazing right. player. Love him. He's under his, he's under like what he probably should have been for a goal scored this season, but like he's, got a huge future ahead of him and I just want him to be like not a total yeah in Mars news <laughs> good what's the Mars news? uh perseverance uh has gone has traveled an amazing distance and you can look this up you can be you can just type in like where is perseverance now you can see the map of where it has gone um and its main thing that it wanted to do well I mean it wants to do a lot of things but it wanted to like in terms of roving it wanted to rove up to this delta that you can see in this image that's very clearly a delta and then it's been at this delta sort of moving around and it's just arrived at a new part of the delta it's called the yori pass so it's arrived there mm. and it's uh gonna be collecting a, a new set of samples so it had a sort of a little trek that it just took and now it is there uh it's near the base of this uh river delta and jezero crater and it contains a substance called sandstone which is made from the grains carried there by the water before settling into a stone and that's super useful in the search for organic materials maybe even biosignatures which is why scientists are excited to gather samples from there so very good very exciting great job and it's gone so far and it's i don't know two how long has it been on mars a long time now <laughs> a long time a couple of years a couple of years yeah that's exciting yeah Gosh, it's so weird to think about like rivers running on Mars. 
It is. Um, but but it but we do rivers need to keep the rivers running on earth. Yeah. We really need to make sure yeah. that we do that. Rivers rivers are huge. It's a geological process. It's very it would be very it's very difficult to stop. Though it it has stopped on earth before. Um in times when it got mm-hmm. very, very cold and we were sort of a full on snow place. Uh, but somehow we got out of there. Such an unstable joint earth. Like, I mean, we th- <laughs> our, our little moment has been reasonably stable compared to others, but it's such uh, an unstable joint. It's, you know, uh, honestly, I'd say it's fairly stable. Probably like galactically, I'd say we got a pretty, pretty. I'm sure nice it's galactically stable, but like on a situation, on a human term stable wow it's stable in a yeah i don't know that, it just, this is I, this is uh, this current lack of stability is our doing but it's not something we did on I purpose i feel the fragility so. i feel the fragility of earth in a way i didn't as a child whether yes. that's real or perceived that i do well, feel it yes it's certainly something that changes quite a lot but it hasn't been an ice ball for a long long time billions of years and that's great Yay. Well, Hank, thank you for potting with me. It's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure, John. Thank you. Yes. And um, we're going to go record our, our Patreon-only podcast this week in stuff right now. Uh, so you can get that at patreon.com slash John. If you want to send us questions, that's at hankandjohn at gmail.com, which is a email address. And we cannot make this podcast without those questions. So thank you, everybody, for sending stuff in. There's always so many good ones. This podcast is edited by Joseph Tunamedish. It's produced by Rosiana Hals-Rojas. Our communications coordinator is Brooke Shotwell. Our editorial assistant is Deboki Chakravarti. The music you're hearing now and at the beginning of the podcast is by the great Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown, don't, don't forget, forget to be, be awesome. awesome.